listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the season of Lent, LutheranPublicRadio.org. I do recall back when the Supreme Court was considering the Obergefell decision that gave us same-sex marriage nationwide, I do recall several guests saying this is going to change everything, not just marriage. It isn't just a redefinition of marriage. I remember them talking about redefinition of adoption law and then, of course, a redefinition of what it means to be a parent. But those voices were few and far between. Joining us to talk about Obergefell, same-sex marriage, and children, Dr. Jennifer Robachmore. She was one of those voices. She's founder and president of the Ruth Institute. She taught economics for 15 years at Yale and George Mason Universities. She's a senior research fellow in economics for the Acton Institute, author of several books, including The Sexual State, and a recent column for the National Catholic Register titled Obergefell's Legacy, Redefining Marriage, Redefines Parenthood. Jennifer, welcome back. Thanks for having me on, Todd. Tell us about this recent story of an Oklahoma lesbian who lost custody of a child to the child's biological parents. Well, if you read the headline, you would think, oh, this poor woman, this is terrible, because the the headline was, a lesbian lost her son to his sperm donor. Should other gay parents be concerned? Okay, this is objective news reporting for you, okay? It turned out that this lesbian couple decided to have a child, and they went to a known sperm donor registry, and they did a non-medical insemination of the mother with the man's sperm. Lo and behold, a little while later, the sperm donor and the mother became friends and moved in together, and the lesbian former partner wants custody and wants parental rights, and the court said, no, no, the mother and the father not a sperm donor, the father, the mother and the father should have custody of this child. So that's that's a short version of what took place, Don. How were these outcomes essentially baked into the Obergefell ruling that gave us national same-sex marriage? Yes, yes. So, So the idea that the lesbian mother should have equal parenting rights with the biological mother, that's what Obergefell was trying to accomplish. And Obergefell basically wanted to you know, we never talked about this when Obergefell was up there. I talked about it, but other people refused to talk about it. What they wanted to do was to, to shift from a, a presumption of paternity to a presumption of parentage, okay? So before gay marriage was ever thought of by anyone, the law of parentage basically was, in pretty much every place in the Anglo-American world that I know of, when a woman gives birth to a child, her husband is presumed to be the child's father. And for any child born during the life of the marriage... The husband is presumed to be the father. And of course, in 95% of the cases, he is the biological father of the child. That's what marriage was really all about, was to establish that and to connect mothers and fathers to their children and to one another. So what the proponents of gay marriage were hoping would happen is that that presumption would go away and be replaced with a presumption of paternity. Instead of presumption of paternity, it would be a gender-neutral presumption of parentage. And in some jurisdictions, it worked just fine. I mean, that was going on part of Obergefell. I used to talk about those cases whenever they would come up. And so the surprise here 
is that the judge in Oklahoma said, heck no, this doesn't make sense. There was a statute in place well before the same-sex marriage, and we're going to go with that statute, which says presumption of paternity, not presumption of gender-neutral parentage. And so on that basis, the judge awarded custody to the, to the biological father and the mother, as opposed to the former partner of the, of, the, uh, of the mother, the former lesbian partner of the mother. Do you think that even the minority of the Obergefell court understood the implications of the decision? Do you know what? I thought it was shocking to me that no one would talk about this, including the court itself. The dissenters in the Obergefell case, they talked about religious liberty, they talked about tradition, they talked about what the 14th Amendment really meant, and all sorts of stuff, but none of them touched this point. And I found that to be very disappointing because I had submitted a amicus brief saying that. Other friends of mine, children of gays, submitted you know, amicus briefs explaining what this was going to do. That in effect, if you redefine marriage, you will end up redefining parenthood. But the court and the whole legal apparatus, really, Todd, took a very narrow view of what was at stake here. And they, you know, they were just looking at, well, what's going to happen to this little thing we're talking about right here, which is marriage and how it impacts gay people. But to take the further step and to say, well, if you redefine marriage, what happens then? Nobody wanted to do that, as far as I know. So we were out there flapping in the breeze on our own, you know, trying to explain that this was not going to be as simple and simple-minded as people were making it out to be. How is the redefining of marriage, also the redefining of parenthood? Well, see, see, that's the way it works, you know, because if you, if you looked at what marriage traditionally did, one of its primary functions was to establish who are the legal parents of a child, you know, and particularly when marriage was the normative place for child rearing, where you had a very low out of wedlock childbearing rate, it did the job, you know, it attached biological mothers and fathers to their children. And so when you redefine marriage, you say, this is going to be a gender-neutral institution. You don't, it, the sex of the parties is not important. That's discrimination. That's unlawful. We're not going to allow you to discriminate in that manner. Now you've created a gender-neutral institution. Well, it simply can no longer be the case that you're going to assume one of two things has to go. Either parentage is no longer going to be a biological thing. There's going to be some other definition of parentage besides biological mother and father, or the idea of a presumption of paternity is going to have to get turned into a presumption of parentage. Either way, you're looking at some new and different way of deciding who has legal rights, legal parenting rights to a child if you make it a gender neutral institution. And, you know, I was pretty sure that what was going to happen is we were going to end up redefining that presumption. And as I mentioned, a lot of states have done that, have allowed that to go by. But in general, what you're doing is you're instead of parentage being a natural thing, a natural institution that the state simply records, legal parenthood is now something that the state creates for whatever reasons it might have. And it's not necessarily related to genetics at all. And that is the real danger of what Obergefell set into motion. How did the Oklahoma court then in the end understand the issue of parenthood? In my opinion, the Oklahoma court got it right. And I want to give a shout out to Judge Lynn McGuire, who did this, because now people are all yelling at her. You know, the usual suspects are mad at her because she was mean to a lesbian lady. But basically, she said, you know, that the presumption of paternity cannot be uh, overwritten 
in the way that they're trying to do in this automatic manner. And we know the identity of the biological father, the biological father, the biological mother wants to be responsible for this child. That's what we're going to do. We're going to have the mother and father be the parents, be the legally recognized parents. And so I think that Judge Lynn McGuire definitely got it right. And I hope if people, if any people listening to this program stumble over this story, you may see people yelling at her, you know, you may see people criticizing her online about how, how retrograde she is and so on and so forth. But in point of fact, I think she got it right. It's the most humane decision for parents and children alike. And people who want to have parental rights over children that they're not related to, they need to adopt. They need to use the legal tool of adoption. And, you know, of course, the gay legal establishment thinks that's terrible and discriminatory. Why should we have to adopt, quote, our own children, end quote. But the fact is, the biological mother could have made an agreement, an adoption agreement with her lesbian partner and given her legal parental rights. You know, that could have been done, but they chose not to. And that's what Judge Lynn McGuire called attention to. Since they chose not to, evidently, even if you think of this as a contract, which is not correct, but even if you did think of, a, of it as a contract, they didn't do what you would need to do. You, they didn't have the intentionality that would be involved in a contract. So no way the mother and father get this child. That's the outcome. You've mentioned here that you were raising these issues in advance of Obergefell. Why weren't other opponents of same-sex marriage raising them at the time? Boy, Todd, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question. I wish I knew the answer to that because I was out and about talking about it all the time. And I know they, you know, some of them at least knew what I was talking about, knew how I was explaining this. I, if I had to guess, I would say that they were afraid that if they stepped into this area of saying that marriage is about children and really about children, about attaching children to their biological parents, they would be stepping into the minefield of social acceptance of single parenthood, social acceptance of divorce and remarriage multiple times in a lot of cases. And the reality, the social reality, that many children lose access to their biological parents through single parenthood or through divorce. And I think they didn't want to deal with that. They didn't want to face that. And I just believe, even at the time, I thought that's a short-sighted view. You know, those things are wrong. We should be saying they're wrong. We should not be rolling over and playing dead about those things while the courts and the government moves even further in the direction of separating children from their parents. So, so I went all in for it. And ultimately, that's part of why the Ruth Institute separated itself from the National Organization for Marriage, because I really wanted to be able to say those things as openly as I thought they needed to be said. And as you know, we have never stopped talking about the issue that children need and deserve a relationship with their own parents. Finally, how do you respond to someone who says that treating same-sex couples differently than opposite-sex couples is discrimination? Well, look, discrimination law has always said that you can treat people differently if they are situated differently with respect to the thing that you're talking about. And so that's why some aspects of sex discrimination are different from some aspects of racial discrimination, because women are situated differently with respect to certain things and so on. So there's always been that proviso. Are you similarly situated with respect to the thing that's in question here? And that's particularly germane in employment law and things like that. So what I wanted to argue and what I would still argue is that a same-sex couple is situated differently with respect to the essential public purpose of marriage. An opposite-sex couple enters into a marriage 
and their children will be legally recognized as their children, and marriage performs that function. If you have a same-sex couple, they are not similarly situated with respect to the purpose of marriage, which is attaching children to their biological parents. The presumption of parentage, the gender-neutral presumption of parentage, obviously operates differently with a same-sex partner than it does with an opposite-sex partner. And so there would be no discrimination at all from saying that whatever this relationship is between two women or between two men, it's not the same thing as a relationship between a man and a woman. And so they, they had that option available to them, but I don't know of any court that really took that ball and ran with it down the path where I think it could have gone and, and really should have gone. Dr. Jennifer Roback Morris is founder and president of the Ruth Institute. She taught economics for 15 years at Yale and George Mason Universities. She's senior research fellow in economics for the Acton Institute and author of several books, including The Sexual State, and a recent column for the National Catholic Register titled Obergefell's Legacy, Redefining Marriage Redefines Parenthood. You can read this column and find out more about the Ruth Institute at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Jen, thanks. Thank you. Friday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss witnessing to homosexuals with Dr. John Bombaro. We'll continue our series responding to Roman Catholic proof text with Dr. Stephen Parks, and it's This Week in Pop Christianity with Chris Rosebro. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc., Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.